Yes, he does. Deep in the pocket. Touchdown. Touchdown, Chicago. You're listening to the number one Chicago Bears podcast. Unrivaled, unmatched, and unequaled. Hogan Johns. Covering the Bears from CHGO, it's Adam Ho. And from The Athletic, it's Adam Johns. Together, they're the Adams. The Adams converge. The consummate pros, the incomparable Hogan Johns. What's up? Welcome in, Hogan and Johns, with you. You, ca- you catch up on your sleep there, buddy? Catching up on my water intake. As opposed yeah. to the, uh, you know, it's not so much like the alcohol and like hanging out and, and meeting contacts at night. It's actually like the heavy eating at the combine yeah. that gets you. No, I call the it the indie foods. Di- yeah, the indie diet. Um, I, I was embarrassed to put. I had to put on a suit yesterday for the first time in a long time, and I had a little trouble buttoning that button. <laughs> and I'm not used to that, so I'm blaming it on Indianapolis, the entire city. Uh, the indie diet of caffeine, alcohol, and steak. And steak. Starch. Yeah. Starch. Sugar. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, it's good. And you made a good decision to beat that storm home because that was not a fun drive home either. You went so, through it? Oh, yeah. A little six-hour drive from Indy. Oh, man. I would have waited. I had to. One, we had to. One more we day had of steaks in Indianapolis would have been on the menu for yeah. me. Um, well, we're back and we have a we have a fun show for you because post combine, Dane Brugler, as we've been promising, will join us regularly uh, as we lead up to the draft, and um, he's on again today at DP Brugler. We should be following him, and he's got his new mock draft out this morning on the Athletic. So great timing there. It's mock draft 3.0, and he's got some big trades, trades plural. plural for us to talk about. So uh, we'll break that down with him. We're also, yesterday was a busy Monday in the NFL world, Johnsy. Uh, some quarterback dominoes starting to fall and some other news with possible free agents. Orlando Brown apparently not going to get tagged. Questions about if they'll be able to work out a deal by next week, which is an intriguing offensive lineman to keep an eye on, especially with the Kansas City connection with Ryan Poles. So there's a lot to get to here, uh, let's start with the quarterback. So, just your reaction: Derek Carr going to New Orleans, and then the Seahawks opting to re-sign Geno Smith. My first reaction was: it's refreshing not to have to cover a team that's involved, like in every single domino. I mean, like the Bears, obviously with the first pick, like control one of those dominoes, right? They do, but the Bears aren't spending ridiculous amounts of money on Andy Dalton or Nick Foles anymore. <laughs> it's, it's just different. Yeah. It feels better. Be happy, everybody, that the Bears have Justin Fields. But, yeah, this market, everybody's watching it, man. This money is its something. Like, Derek Carr's a good quarterback, but he's not like one of the – where would you put him? 12, 13? Geno Smith, yeah, he's in the, two? he's in the teens, you know. I mean, if Kirk Cousins is your guy, I feel like Derek Carr is kind of my guy. Um, but they're both sort of just – they're guys. I'd rather have Derek Carr. I do think a change of scenery is um, is good for him. But, uh, you know, it, as much as I like to to rag on Kirk Cousins, like Derek Carr can bring that type of level of stability and um, run the offense in a way that I think the Saints right now need. You know, give him the keys to the car and let him run it, which I think is something he actually did well with the Raiders, especially in the Gruden years. So... I like the fit. I'm glad he went there instead of the Jets. Um, I think he's set up for more success there, and I think it makes the Saints a borderline playoff team. And um, but I don't think they're winning a Super Bowl unless they, you know, figure out some other things around him. But yeah, it's. I think the more intriguing situation that maybe has a bigger impact on the Bears, Johns, is actually the the Seahawks choosing to re-sign Geno Smith. Um, at this point is where we're recording, and I may have missed it this morning because I've been running around, but I hadn't seen any details on the money. Um, I mean, the overall dollars were out, but in terms of guaranteed money, how that contract is actually structured, I think give us a little bit more clues to does this actually take them out of the running to draft a quarterback? Because I'll say this right now. I'm not sold that it does. Oh, three years, $100 million? At least this what, year what, it does. What's the real money? I don't know. There's got to be a lot of guarantee this year. At least, at least the first or 
usually with these deals, the first two years are, are pretty secure. And I but love if there's a Geno Smith story. Oh, it's a great story. It's a great story. But if there's an out after one year, I can still see them drafting a the quarterback. Maybe it's not at, you know, five, but perhaps still because they got plenty of draft capital after the Russell Wilson trade. I mean, I could still see them taking a swing. So here it is, one hour ago. Base value of $25 million per season. This is from Mike Garofolo of the NFL Network. Okay. Seahawks deal with Geno Smith has a base value of $25 million per season. Three years, $75 million, with $40 million fully guaranteed. Smith will earn $28 million in the first year of the deal. He has $30 million in incentives. So heavy in incentives. Quickly... It's probably not the exact, depending on how things are structured, but that sounds to me like, so if you want to get out of it next year, it's a $12 million cap hit. Or you're at least eating that, maybe saving some by getting rid of them. I'm just saying, I, I you know, we've seen teams sign veterans and then draft a quarterback. Um, team that comes well, the to way, mind the way is I read the Chicago demos. Bears. Yes. Well... <laughs> Yes. Was that 18 million? <laughs> That's all. I'm talking Mike Lennon? <laughs> yeah, Mike Just Lennon. A little bit more money than that. Um, yeah. The way I read these dominoes is that the teams that the Bears really need to be active in that trade market stayed out of it so far. You still have mm-hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo. You're, you're watching that connection with the Raiders. You're watching the Jets. Did you see some of the reports today with, with Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, yeah. There's Having some conversations with, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, talking to the Jets, which I, I think like the, the Packers have to allow something like that, right? Like that, you can't just call up the Jets and be like, hey, what's going on? Yeah, but um, I could tell you with about a thousand percent certainty, the Packers have no problem Aaron Rodgers talking right. to other teams. They're ready to right be now. done with this. They just need Aaron to be done with this. Yeah, so I think he has free free permission to talk to anybody. So that's an interesting domino to follow. Some... Like Adam Shefford would tell you that the first domino to fall should be Aaron Rodgers, but obviously Derek Carr was the first one to go down and got a lot of money. But in terms of like the Bears and trade partners, the Colts stayed out of it, the Raiders stayed out of it, the Panthers stayed out of it, the Texans stayed out of it. Sure, you have Jimmy Garoppolo and some other free agent quarterbacks out there, but it looks like in terms of conversation and driving up that price for the first pick, the teams you need, few of them are still there for the Bears. Yeah, I, I don't think that there's been um, a lot of shakeup there. Um, now, I one interesting move that I could see happening that would make things murky, but still not completely take a team out of the running for drafting a quarterback is like, what if the Texans sign Garoppolo? I, I, I mean, well, you'd have there's the details of the deal, right? Is, yeah, it'd probably and, be a true bridge quarterback, but for how many years? And there's already been some whispers that, like, if you're the Texans, not all these teams are in position to assure themselves a shot at Caleb Williams. Like, the Texans are a team with at least a head coach who's secure, who could afford to be bad one more year and get Caleb Williams next year. Now, the part where I haven't completely bought into that idea, because there were some whispers of that last week I heard in Indy, like, are the Texans really going to take a quarterback? Maybe they don't. Nick Casario's been there now for a few years and is on his third head coach already. So as much as he might feel secure, that, that doesn't feel like a guy who can afford another terrible season where they end up with a number one overall pick. That's why I'm I'm struggling to fully buy into that idea, especially if Bryce Young is sitting there for you and you don't even need to trade up to one to get him. Yeah, not many teams give general managers three opportunities to get the head coach right. Like three opportunities in what, three years? Three or four in years? Three years. Yeah. <laughs> Like, what are we doing here? Um, I don't know. J- just a great example of how there's not a lot of qualified head coaches out there. Like, everybody seems to want to get rid of them maybe too soon or hire candidates they don't really want just to get to candidates they might want down the road. Yeah. <laughs> just just a mess. Yeah, it is. Uh, what'd you, quickly, before we get to Dane, what would you make of the Orlando Brown news? Do you think... 
that's a possibility for the Bears. Uh, I've I, everyone and Indy last week seemed to think that he was getting tagged again, and I, I wasn't complete. You just don't see guys get tagged twice a lot in a row, and, and especially non quarterbacks. Right. I, I think Mike McGlinchey is an option. I think Caleb McGrary is an option. I think you're looking for someone who fits the identity and maybe the scheme that the Bears run. So McGlinchey stands out to me. It's just how much you want to pay for the right tackle or left tackle. The buzz that we got, Kevin Fishman and I got, is you're looking at 17 to $20 million for a right tackle in this year's market. The Bears have that space. They could go down that road. If you're going to push a team on price, the Bears would be one because they have so much cap space. But Ryan Poles is, is trying to set ex- expectation, right? Every, every conversation he's had with us, he talks about parameters and certain price points and how they're not going to go crazy. Would $20 million be too much for a right tackle in this market? What do you think? Um, I, that's, that's why I brought up Brown because it's like I'd – I'd rather spend that money on him then, even if uh, here here's a situation I don't know if it's realistic, but I'd love to spend that money on him and make him the right tackle. Now, part of the reason why he wanted to get out of Baltimore to begin with was because he wanted to play left, and but I think the knock on him that some people have is that he's not just he's not completely dominant, right? So he's he's good, he's solid. He's certainly among, you know, the top group of left tackles. But, like, I talked to somebody last week was like, man, if you just play him at right tackle, now you got an absolute stud. And I prefer that over the other guys you just named, especially if I have to go pay McGlinchey $17 million. Like, I'd rather spend that money on Brown. So, and then you can still develop Braxton Jones and not have to move him to the right side, which I think is the Bears' preference right now. I think they believe in Braxton Jones. I like the idea of spending significant money on your offensive line as opposed to maybe waiting for your guy in the draft. Does that make sense? We'll talk to Dane about that in a little bit to see what mm-hmm. options are later on. But if you're going to spend in free agency, I'd start with the offensive line, someone more proven, someone more experienced, someone who brings a little bit of that savvy to the offensive line room, some, some natural meanness that's been proven out over some years that could help protect Justin Fields, help him feel more comfortable. I feel like a veteran does that more than a rookie. Well, we'll dive more into free agency later this week. And of course, pretty much all next week as it unfolds. Um, But yes, coming off the combine with the draft still on our mind with the mock draft out this morning from Dane Brugler, we thought it'd be a good idea to bring him on the show. So here's our guy, the beast, Dane Brugler. Okay. Well, we are into March post-combine, and we get access to Dane Brugler once again, our guy, our draft expert at The Athletic, who, um, like everyone else, is recovering from the uh, lack of sleep last week in Indy and too much food. But, uh, Dane, thanks again for jumping on with us. No, of course. It's it's always fun after the combine because it feels like forever we're talking about, oh, this is what they're going to run or how they're going to look. And now we can actually talk about what they did, how they looked, and came out with my post-combine mock this morning. Uh, it was a lot of, okay, this is what I heard, this is what I saw, now it's let's try to put this in context. Let's try to, okay, what does it all mean? What's fact? What's fiction? Uh, that's easier said than done, obviously. Um, and, and we still have a long way to go, free agency and everything else. But where we are right now in the process um, – you know, it's 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 a very interesting part, especially with these quarterbacks and the Bears picking at number one. So let's start with that mock draft. You are Bears Twitter's favorite draft analyst right now with the the double whammy, the double trade back from yeah. four and then to nine. Can you just take us through your thought process and what leads you to believe maybe the like the driving force behind those quarterbacks, like in those teams' interests? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, we, we know that Ryan Poles wants to get that 24 and 25 first rounder, right? Uh, I just, I don't know how realistic it's going to be to get that 25 uh, first rounder. But if they can move back twice, like in this scenario, you go into next year with three first round picks. Uh, I, I think it's almost ideal because, you know, you Justin Fields, you're going to give him his chance. 
Uh, you're going to build up the roster in, in this mock draft by trading back twice. You also have, what is it, five picks in the first 64? So you're going to add talent for this year and for the future. And we know Ryan Poles, if, if I learned anything over the last year, and it was, it, you know, kind of, especially at this, like this past combine the last week, it was Ryan Poles is looking for the future. He is, he is focused not on just 2023. He is looking at, okay, what's the three-year plan? What's the five-year plan? And by going into next year with those multiple first-round picks uh, and a chance to potentially go get a quarterback uh, if they need to, then they're they're in good shape. They're, they're, there's a lot of optimism there. So, and in this scenario, they move back to nine, still get Lucas Van Ness, who I I think fits that Ryan Poles profile. You know, an ascending player. Uh, you know, I made the uh, kind of comparison on the Athletic Football Show with Robert Mays, but he's Lucas Van Ness is like Leonardo DiCaprio after growing pains. You know, he's going going. In, he hasn't hit Titanic yet. Okay, so he hasn't blown up. But you could see you watch Growing Pains, you see it in Leonardo DiCaprio. You see, okay, there's something to this guy. He's he's ascending, uh, and you know I, I think he could be inside outside, be a three technique. I mean, a lot of his best tape at Iowa was rushing from the inside, those interior alignments. So get him as a three technique, but he could also uh, play some base and some outside as well. So I I really like this scenario for Poles and uh, the in the Bears. Dane, one of the things that stood out to me just last week in Indy, and part of this is probably just because like we're all catching up to probably not even the point you were at last summer on this class. But as we learn more and more about these guys from experts like you, you know, I th- I think we were probably guilty a little bit of focusing a little bit too much on Will Anderson and Jalen Carter and being like, oh, this is a this is a two-man draft at the top. You don't want to fall too far back. And it's like the more I learn about guys like Lucas Van Ness, we've known about Skaronsky here locally, obviously. Um, but but even like, I don't know, but it's probably a reach at nine to take Jackson Smith and Jigba. But like there's there's still like good players that I feel like if the Bears end up at nine that they're still going to come away happy. Like, who are some of those other guys besides Van Ness that in that range you feel like, with especially with the draft capital they're acquiring in some type of trade like this, that they're probably still getting somebody that can help immediately for a team that has a lot of needs in a lot of areas? Yeah, and especially if four quarterbacks end up going, let's just say they move back to nine and four quarterbacks go in the top eight, uh, you know, that, that's just going to push good players to you uh you know whether it's a, a Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech who uh is not a he's not as polished as, as a Will Anderson in terms of getting to the quarterback but when you're as big and long and quick as he is uh there's a lot more room for uh you know a margin of error uh, in terms of being perfect with your technique and and your leverage and things like that so Tyree Wilson be in that mix you know Lucas Van Ness obviously you mentioned Skaronsky who uh you, you know is the best offensive lineman in this draft and a guy that gives you positional versatility uh, can play really, I think all five positions and you'd be comfortable with it. Uh, you know, with the, the feet, the technique, the processing, I mean, Skronsky is the real deal. Uh, but this is also the range like at number nine, where we're going to start seeing some of these tackles come off the board with Paris Johnson, Roderick Jones, you know, obviously the bears want to get better on the offensive line, but you know, how, how, how what's their, route to doing so um you know they got promising snaps at left tackle last year uh do they want to you know add another uh potential tackle and go into a, into next year with the competition how, how do they look at upgrading this offensive line so number nine that's definitely a direction they could go uh receivers interesting uh because you know we, we've said this a lot this is this year's wide receiver class is not what we've had the last two years two years ago jamar chased uh uh uh, Jalen Waddle. I mean, that, that group was awesome. Last year, we had six in the top 18 picks. Like, that's just a, a crazy amount of wide receivers. This year's not on that same level. I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba, if he was in last year's wide receiver class, he might have been the seventh receiver drafted. Uh, and that's nothing against Jackson Smith and Jigba. It's just the amount, the, the talent we had last year. And, you know, what's uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba is as, as a receiver. He's looked at as a not a slot. I mean, the, the term slot only, I feel like, you know, it feels like a negative term. I mean, he, is, he could play on the outside, but he, you want him in the slot. Um, you know, it's like kind of like Peter Skaronsky. Could he play tackle? Probably, but you want him a guard where I think that's his, his highest ceiling as, as an NFL player. 
that's with Jackson Smith and Jigba. Let them be on the inside. Let them eat. Um, but where where does that wide receiver run start? In my mock draft, it didn't start until 20. Um, you know, realistically, 12 to Houston, um, you know, maybe even nine to Chicago. I mean, you can't rule it out. I mean, how how early is too early for a playmaker? We know every offense in uh, in the NFL is looking for more playmakers. And if you believe that a a Zay Flowers, a Jackson Smith and Jigba, um, you know, whoever is atop your wide receiver board, if you believe that that's a playmaker that if we plug in is going to drastically affect our offense and how we operate and how we put points on the board, then nine's not too early for that guy. So, you know, I, I think that it, being open-minded about who's who could be there at nine and how they could affect the, 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 the roster as a whole, the overall impact – I think that's the way to go about it if I'm, if I'm Chicago. Leaving the combine, how would you characterize the buzz around the quarterbacks? And and how did C.J. Stroud move up to number one for you, at least in your, your latest mock draft? Yeah, I mean, just in the mock. And, you know, it's it's tough because we're – it's not as simple as, oh, I think C.J. Stroud's the best quarterback, so he's number one. And, you know, it, each one of these teams – is so different in their building process or the way they look at the position and the way they want to attack it. And the Colts are a perfect example for that. Uh, you've got a head coach who's the first year head coach. Um, you know, we don't really have a track record of what his ideal quarterback looks like. Uh, you know, we know the success he had with Jalen Hurts, but you know, his vision of an ideal quarterback that he wants for his offense might look a little bit different than Jalen Hurts. We've got a GM, Chris Ballard, who knows this very well could be his final draft if he doesn't get right, get it right. His final draft as a general manager in the NFL. He might never get another shot to run a, a draft. So he knows he has to get this right. And then you have the wild card of all wild cards, Jim Mercer. So, you know, that triangle right there, it, it's really tough to parse everything you're hearing about what each side would want and figure out, okay, this is who they'd go for. But when you look at it, to me, uh, and based on what I heard, C.J. Stroud feels like the one quarterback that all three sides could really get on board with and say, OK, you know, the accuracy, uh, the fact that he can come in from day one and compete for starting reps and, you know, help us win football games. I, I think that will appeal to everybody in Indianapolis. Now, obviously, the asking price going up and giving up a future one, giving up a two, it, it's expensive. Uh, but if you're the Colts, you've been compromising on the quarterback position since Andrew Luck retired. Can you really afford to wait at number four and just cross your fingers and toes and hope that your quarterback gets there? Uh, it, I mean, I, that that's that's risky. You, you might be left with your second or even third best quarterback option uh, if you decide to wait it out. And uh, again, this is a, an organization that uh, ha- has been compromising uh, on the position. And I don't think they can afford to do that. So when doing a mock draft like this uh, is – it's tough, especially with Chicago picking at one. We, we don't think they're going to pick there and trying to guess, okay, what's that trade going to look like? Carolina are, Carolina is very motivated. That's the word from the combine is, uh, you know, Tapper ownership. They dr- desperately want to get that quarterback for the future, a guy they can build around, a guy they can put, uh, you know, on the front of the game program, the front of the website and sell and say, look, this is the, this is the face of hope. This is where we're headed. And Carolina wants that. And so is who's their guy? You know, could it be an Anthony Richardson? Uh, you know, is it a Bryce Young? So the quarterback situation is really fascinating. Then you got Houston sitting there at two, who uh I was I was really interested at the amount of people who are not convinced that Houston's gonna go quarterback. Uh just because you know, you you have a first year head coach, they have multiple ones next year already. They have Cleveland's first round pick next year. Did they can build up the roster, potentially trade back, uh, build up the roster, and then go for the quarterback next year. So it, it's still so many moving pieces as we try to figure out where do these quarterbacks go. Uh, but I, I will say that the C.J. Stroud workout at the Combine was just outstanding. Um, and it, anybody that's watched C.J. Stroud isn't surprised by that. The strength of C.J. Stroud is from the pocket. He is clinical. Uh, he will just pick you apart with his accuracy, uh, his feel for pacing, uh, but seeing it, uh, you know, in the stadium, sitting there watching it live, you just have a better appreciation for it. Uh, so, you know, I think CJ Stroud left Indianapolis as a, as a clear winner for how he performed. Um, you know, Bryce Young and the size. I understand why he, he decided not to work out, and he 
worked so hard to put on the weight. Um, I think it's it's a little silly because everybody knows his playing weight is more in the 190 range. But at the end of the day, he's going to go down as being a plus 200-pound quarterback. Uh, that's what his football card is going to say. That's what, um, you know, when we discuss Bryce Young, it won't be, oh, he's 190 pounds. It's, oh, he's, he's above 200 pounds. So, you know, I understand why he played that game, but it's also pretty clear that, you know, when he goes to his pro day and he throws and he tests, probably won't weigh in, you know, because that, that that part, he's comfortable with that 204 number and that's that. So this quarterback class, it, it's a lot of fun to talk about because there's so many different directions these teams could go, the order, how early. I had have, I have four quarterbacks in the top seven of my mock, and that's never happened before. We've never seen four quarterbacks go that early, which is kind of crazy to think about. I mean, what, two years ago, we had five in the top 15, which had never happened before. Um, and potentially we could see four going uh, pretty early this year. Is is that like, are we guilty of maybe underrating them in a sense? Or do you think that maybe that's a reflection of how like the desperation of the position? Because so many teams need quarterbacks this year in the NFL. Yeah, and I was really interested as we got closer to this draft to see how it would play out because after last year's draft, you know, leading up, even the day before last year's draft, I'm working on my final mock and I'm calling around, I'm getting input from everybody I can around the league. Um, and teams up the day before the draft last year were saying, I don't know where this quarterback's going to go but he's going to go. They always do. They're going to go. They're going to go talking about Desmond Ritter and Malik Willis and all. And you know what? They did not Uh, we had one quarterback in the first round and after the draft in the summer, when I was kind of doing my postmortem and just following up with guys, they all said the same thing. Like, you know what? Teams were willing to be patient because they knew they didn't love those guys. They liked them, but teams advanced scout. They knew next year's quarterback class was going to be better. So uh, in the past, when we would have seen uh, Malik Willis go in the first or Desmond Ritter go in the second uh, or Sam Howell go in the third, teams were like were more willing to be patient and say, we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait till next year and we'll be just fine doing that. So will we see any of that this year? I, I think, you know, the, the Houston Texans could absolutely go that route. The Raiders potentially could go that route if they just went with Jimmy Garoppolo for a year. Um, you know, I, I – I, I have a hard time believing I, I, the Colts are drafting a quarterback. We think the Panthers are drafting a quarterback, but you know, it's, it's interesting when you have a quarterback class like this, where each one of these guys are really talented. I mean, there's no doubt about it, but you can put Coles in, in each one of them. Anthony Richardson was the most athletic quarterback we've ever seen at the combine. Uh, we've never seen a quarterback jump, uh, you know, a 40 and a half inch in the, in the vert, uh, what four, four, three at 244 pounds. That's unreal. Uh, but his his interviews were a little up and down um, from the teams that I talked to. And it's not that he's, you know, it's not that he bombed any interviews or anything, but he's, I, I think it was a little eye-opening just how young he is. Um, this is a guy that, you know, he didn't go to a top high school where he was groomed at the position uh, for, at a young age. He He's a redshirt sophomore. He has under 400 pass attempts in his career. He has 13 career starts to his name, uh, and he's below 500 uh, in, in those starts. So, you know, Anthony Richardson, there's still a long way to go. Uh, Will Levis, you know, it, it, it comes back to the excuses or reasons argument. You know, all the lack of success that he had last year, is it because of, okay, losing Wondell Robinson and uh, I, all the circumstances around him, losing his play caller, um, the fact that he was injured. People don't realize he was getting injections before every game. Uh, he shouldn't have been out there, but uh, you know, he, he's just a, he's a tough SOB. And that's one of the reasons teams really appreciate Will Levis. So, and then you got Bryce Young, who is just the most complete outlier we've ever seen size wise with uh, with a quarterback. So each one of these quarterbacks, you could poke holes in, but when you really lock into what they do best and their strengths, it's easy to see how each one of these guys could, or could be on the trajectory to having NFL success if they're matched with the right coach in the right situation. Dane, when the uh, Jalen Carter news came in last week while we were all in Indy, my initial reaction was like, ah, he, I mean, he's probably still going to be a top 15 pick. Yes, mm-hmm. Yesterday I got asked on the radio, and I was more like, actually, I think he might still go top five. Uh, I see your mock draft. 
You have them at number five to the Seattle Seahawks. How did last week's news and perhaps everything you've heard, people you've talked to since that came out, shape? How did that shape where you view him right now? Because obviously the tape's still undeniable. He's a great player, but teams obviously have a lot to work through here. They do. And I think if there's any silver lining, it's the fact that this isn't the Laramie Tunzel gas mask where it's the day of the draft and teams are scrambling and okay, what do we, what do we do? How do we uh, process this, this information? Um, you know, teams have plenty of time to figure this out and dive deeper. And teams have already done a lot of uh, extensive work with Jalen Carter. And, you know, I talking to scouts that have been through Athens, they, it, the, the term character concerns is, is a little strong uh, for their taste. Uh, you know, they, is he immature in areas? Yeah. Does he, uh, need to learn how to be a professional. Yeah. Did Kirby, ha- Kirby smart have to ride him at times? Yeah. But you know, you could say that about most 20 and 21 year olds uh, who are at that stage of their career, they're better than everybody else. Uh, like I, so I don't know that the, the quote unquote character concerns was a real thing going into the combine. Now it's important to point out that the, the incident at hand and you know, why he was um, you know, the whole, the whole uh, situation that that was new information. That's not something teams knew beforehand. So that this is all uh, you know updated information that teams need to go figure out. So I think each team's going to look at it a little bit differently. Um, you know, I every every team has a different appetite for risk. You know, with the type of uh, you know questions about maturity and you know it's it's really tough to forecast. Uh, you know what a guy's going to be two three years from now. Um, you know I. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want people, be, you know, judging me based on some of the decisions I've made at 21 years old. So, you know, it's it it, it, it gets a little murky and each team's going to look at it a little bit differently. But I still have a hard time believing that he's going to fall out of the top five to seven picks. I want to talk about early second round, because if the Bears do trade back like they want to pick in that area and in your scenario, they get a few picks in that area because they trade back twice. Well, you you got them with five picks in the top 64. So, I mean, that gives the Bears a lot to work with, you know, in in that second round area to pick up a lot of, you know, guys who could potentially start early. That's basically four second rounders, right? Yeah, because usually usually pick 64 is the last pick in the second round every year. It just happens to be the first pick in the third round this year. So, yeah, you're picking ninth and then you have four second rounders. That's, That's a great place to live. So who are like your favorite offensive linemen in that area? And then like the, the second part of that question, like how deep is this pass rusher class and what's the caliber of player there high in the, in the second round? Yeah. And it's interesting in my mock, I actually had a run on offensive linemen in that late first, which, you know, we've seen before, uh, you know, All whether it's a guy one, right? like, well, and we know every team needs him, right? So, you know, Caleb McGarry sneaking into the first round a couple of years ago, or, you know, like it happens almost every year where teams see offensive linemen and say, okay, if we don't get our guy now, we're not going to get him next round. So let's, let, let's, even if we feel like we're reaching a little bit, um, you know, let's, let's take Cole Strange in the first round. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting how many of these tackles and offensive linemen go in the first, uh, and then who's left in the second round. But, if I'm looking strictly at, at day two offensive lineman, Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse, I think he he would make a lot of sense. Uh, you know, he's uh, I mean, great stories, Canadian. Um, you know, hasn't been uh, groomed for this uh, his entire life, but he's just a natural. Uh, he goes to Syracuse, gets better and better every single year as a left tackle. I actually think he might be best at, as a guard, maybe a zone blocking guard. But uh, there's a lot of ability there. His, his run blocking is outstanding. And he's really come along as a pass protector as well. So uh, Matthew Bergeron uh, w- would make sense at that range. Um, I-, I really like Brayton Daniels from Utah. He, the coaching staff at Utah just raves about his intelligence, his football character, his positional versatility. He can play all over the offensive line. So I think if you're looking, if they really pl- place a premium on guys that have position flex, uh, then I think Brayton Daniels might be a little bit higher than people think. Uh, but and then edge rusher, I think it really does stretch. I, you know, I had what four, five. I think I had five pass rushers going in the first round uh, in my mock draft. But the second round, there's second and third round, there will be tremendous value there. I, I think when you talk about uh, a guy like Will McDonald from Iowa State, who's 
a little unrefined, but man, he's a good athlete. He's super long and he's really athletic. Uh, Derek Hall from Auburn is a guy that teams really like. He's not the, you know, it, it, the countermeasures you wish we wish were better. He, he's not, um, you know, a guy that maybe you think is going to give you double digit sacks right out of the gate. But his football character is off the charts, and he's a, a hard charger, speed off the edge, and you know what you're getting with him. So teams will really like Derek Hall. Um, Isaiah Foskey, uh, Notre Dame, you know, he's also in that mix. So edge rusher in that second round, really in the, the top 75, you know, that that 35 to 75 range, I think is is a really strong group of, of promising players who maybe weren't quite good enough to go in the first, but, man, we feel like we're getting good value uh, somewhere in that second round. How about three technique? Um, because if if the Bears don't attack that with their first-round pick, now they're in a spot with, uh, in my opinion, if they have four second-round picks, I mean, there's there's potentially some guys that you could find there that are still very, very enticing. Do you think Cansey slips into the first round since he ended up you know, measuring in at 6-1 and then – how about Adetamoa Adabore, who's just sort of fascinating because he was on a, a not very good football team last year and sort of flew under the radar, and yet here he is blowing up the Senior Bowl and the Combine. Yeah, and I, I mean, I I go back to that Northwestern Ohio State tape, and um, you know, I was really excited to watch that one. And Adabore was was awesome. I mean, I, I tweeted about him the 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 week after that game, and just like how. His quickness, so you know he doesn't he doesn't get reached. He's making plays up and down the line of scrimmage. Um, I, I think he makes a lot of sense as a three technique. And but then he goes to the combine, and we've never seen a uh, two hundred eighty plus pound athlete run a sub four five. Never it's never happened before. So I, it's going to be interesting how teams digest that information. Does that mean that you? want to put him on the edge. So he has a little bit more of a runway, a little bit more of a track to get that speed going. Uh, but then we, we watch him at senior bowl practices and he was dominant on the interior as more of a three technique where he uses that natural leverage really for a guy that's shorter. He's got 34 inch arms so he can reach you and drive you backwards. Cause he's so freaking strong. So um, what do you do with a guy that had fourth round tape, but top five overall measurables with his length and his testing uh, what's the, where do you, what's the reconcile, you know, where, where's that middle ground where you feel comfortable? Uh, you know, I, I, I thought about maybe even sneaking into the late first, I don't think it'll happen, but, um, maybe probably somewhere in that second round, um, you know, with teams love traits team love, and, and he's a smart guy. He's there. There's just a lot to work with. I think somewhere in the second round is, is the right landing spot for Adabare and for, a team that it might be looking for a three technique. I, I think he he checks a lot of those boxes. So he, he's really interesting. Um, can't see. Yeah, I think he probably ends up going the first just be so quick. He's so active, so violent. Uh, he's not long. And that's that's a big red flag. If you're going to say why can't see might not work. It's because the, the arms are just they're, they're much shorter than what you're looking for. Uh, but he's I'm still going to bet on that quickness and that violence that he plays with. Um, after that, you know, I. Keanu Benton from Wisconsin is a guy that I think has some of that interchangeable, can play the nose, but can also give you three technique reps. Um, there's pass rush potential, so I think he makes sense. Um, I, it's not as the, – the interior of the defensive line is not nearly as deep as the pass rush group this year, but there are a few names that could potentially make sense. I was really interested to see how uh, Tuli uh, Plotu, the USC defensive lineman, because I mean, he was listed at 290. Even though he was more of an edge rusher at USC, he was listed at 290. You thought, huh? This guy, you know, maybe use some of that quickness, the powerful hands. Maybe use that in the inside. He he weighed in at 265, so I think he's strictly going to be an edge rusher. Um, so you know, the, this defensive tackle class has talent, but it's not as deep as uh, the edge group. One more for you, Dane. Um, this tight end class looks absolutely loaded. Yeah, just loaded. Yeah. If, if you're the Bears and you're going to try to maybe wait it out a little bit, like what's the – like who are your favorite players maybe day three, late day two? Like who, which which players could fit the Bears, well, zone-heavy run scheme and, and be that big option for Justin Fields? Luke Schoonmaker, uh, the Michigan tight end, I think would uh, be a great fit because he can block, but he's also a pretty athletic pass catcher, uh, former quarterback, uh, you know, as long as, uh, you know, he's healthy and all that, he had a few things dinged up this year, shoulder, as long as he's healthy, 
Uh, I think in my, he just made my top 100. So, you know, he's somewhere in that late third, early fourth. I, I think Luke Schoonmaker would make a ton of sense. Um, Davis Allen from uh, Clemson is one of the better contested catch uh, uh, tight ends in this group, uh, but he can also block. And then uh, the interesting, the intriguing guy is Zach Koontz from Old Dominion, who is a super athlete. Uh, and his positional workout was outstanding as well at the Combine. Um, so where does he go now? Is he into that day two range? Um, so yeah, this tight end class, it's, we're going to see guys go early. We're going to see guys go, uh, plenty of guys going to day two. And then even in a day three, it's just such a deep group. Dane, appreciate you. Uh, all the great work at the combine and everything you've done in the aftermath. Uh, Bears fans loving the mock draft and, uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks gentlemen. Thanks Dan. All right, John's uh, always good to talk to Dane and a couple things I wanted to touch on just talking to him. First of all, like the idea of having four second round picks essentially is, I mean, you could add you so heard, much. Yeah. When you like, you, you heard the comments that polls made to Peter King, just like, I don't need to rush this. I want those picks. Essentially what he was saying, you know, paraphrasing it, like give me those picks. You know, in the future, that's great. But like Dane found a way to get four second rounders and two first rounders next year. I mean, that's pretty impressive. So it's the desperation of the position, you know, to get that quarterback move right. And I think some teams are ready to act on it. He mentioned the Colts and the Panthers. I love the trade back situation with the Panthers. Like if there's one team that might be willing to give you that twenty five first round pick. It's the Panthers, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it's it's got to be them because you're moving up from nine to one. That's a big leap. If the Dolphins can get three first round picks out of the 49ers from a twelve to three jump, the Bears should be able to do the same with the Panthers if they want to go get the quarterback that they want number one. I also like to pick a Van Ness. Um, he's you know, on you do some digging because you're like, how did the guy have zero starts? But then you actually pay attention to snap counts, which is f- frankly more important. And the guys had the most snaps. So, and he's as Dane pointed out with us, you know, he's still he's still just sort of scratching the surface, and he does fit that prototypical four three defensive end spot. And you know, I don't need to and maybe some people. three technique. He said that too. Sure, and, and I don't need to remind people about uh, drafting a uh, first-round undersized pass rusher who you try to make a 4-3 end, and it doesn't work out. Your guy, Shane McClellan. So, um, you know, I just, I, I, if they're going to go down that route that early, I just, it feels safer to draft somebody who really fits the prototype for that position. And I like Van Ness there. I I, I uh, am fascinated with Adetamoa, Adebore, uh, because he, and I talked to somebody last week who was like, nah, he's a three technique. He really is. And that's where um, I think he's a good fit for the Bears. S- to see him rising, to potentially get him in the second round, I it's one thing to to have an unbelievable workout. It's you, you a lot of the personnel guys you talk to, even on the record, you you heard um I think even Chris Ballard may mention this last week too. You know, you you don't want to get too in the weeds in the these numbers that come out at the combine, but you certainly pay attention to the outliers. Those are the ones that you got to pay attention to, either good or bad. Right, so if somebody completely bombs out, you're like, "Well, wait a minute, like, why did that happen?" But when somebody's out there breaking records, uh, you know, and breaking four or five as a 280 pound <laughs> three technique, I mean, that counts for something. That's something you have to pay attention to, especially when he showed up to the Senior Bowl and played as well as he did. So that all of a sudden is somebody who's on my radar as uh, potentially in that second round. And and Lucas Van Ness fits that bill as well in terms of. Special athleticism. He does. He's got that that length, the speed, all those things that Matty Rufus looks for physically, like those physical traits. And he's got that motor to mean that Eminem acronym that Matty Rufus likes to use for his defensive lineman. He's got that. There are two clips out there 
where he's running over Peter Skronsky and Paris Johnson. Like, like yes. that is, yes, like that is, yeah. those are your best two offensive linemen in this draft. And he's putting them on their behinds. It's really hard to find clips of Skaronsky getting exposed. There's not a lot of them because he's very, very consistent. That's one of them. He's <laughs> blown up by Van Ness. Yeah. It, it looks like one of those Khalil Mack highlights back in the day yeah. where he would yeah. just strong arm the guy and make him move, you know, six feet that way without Van you know, Ness w- drove. Yeah, Van Ness drove Johnson literally into the legs of C.J. Stroud. Yeah. <laughs> Power, motor, I mean, I like the pick. And then you got the funny connections with him dating Cole Komet's sister. But that's for future stories by Patrick Finley later on. Oh, did that? Did Pat write a story about that? Or it's a future yeah, story yeah. coming? Future oh, story, okay. yes. Future that's story. Just, yeah, that is in his wheelhouse. I actually did not know that until someone told me that last week in India. And I was like, really? Oh. Okay. Lock him up. Automatic yeah. bear for life if Put him you have that connection. <laughs> going. Um, any other final thoughts after talking to Dane? I, I just like the idea of, like, I have a column coming out on Wednesday, and my number one thing is get as much draft capital as possible. I get that there's a line. Like, you have to draw a line in the sand somewhere. Like, you need blue players or close to blue players, and you need red players if you're looking at the Bears' color-coding scheme for their draft board. But to have that many swings for a team that has that many needs, you can see why Ryan Poles wants to to move this pick. And we'll aggressively try to do so, but from a position of strength, knowing that so many teams need to move up for that quarterback or have interest in doing so. Do you make anything out of the like how um I mean it was pretty clear Poles put out a for sale sign last week early. Yeah. But like by the end of the week especially with some of the stuff that was in that Peter King story. Do you worry that it's like almost too much? That like, I mean, he really seems to be sending out bat signals. That's like, all right, let's get this thing done. But also interesting that he was like, you got to pay a premium if you want to. Yeah. Come like if you want to set your, your stuff, right. If you want to get your books in order before the start of the new league year, there's a lot of teams that have cap problems. Don't they have to be under the the cap by the new league year? Like, don't yes. they have to, to to move some money around? Like, if you want to get stuff in order, call me. Like, I get it. Like, I, I think the Panthers are one team with cap issues. Not not as serious as like the Buccaneers. We have a couple good receivers. Might want to trade for, but like one one other thing I, I wouldn't do is I, I would enforce the issue at receiver. Like, I love Zay Flowers, the kid from Boston College. I think he is just a dynamic playmaker. But I wouldn't like I would take him in the second round, but like I don't know if I would trade back into the first to get him. Maybe you do because of the the scarcity of the position, but I wouldn't force the issue at receiver. All right, well, hold that thought because I got a mock draft coming out this week that might be interesting on that. Oh, you so, you did it, didn't you? You forced the little, issue. Little teaser, little teaser for you. I don't know if I. I don't know if I call it force the issue, but because I think most it? Bears fans. <laughs> um, well, I didn't trade up for one. I'll put it that way. Not trading Ooh. up for a wide receiver. I do like and 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 I, um, Dane touched on this. We didn't get to the tight end until the very end, and and he was a little bit short on time. Um, but I heard him and Mays talking about this because uh, they did a combine wrap up show the other day on the Athletic Football Show. You should check out. And I totally agree with it. It's like in a year where wide receivers are so scarce, not only in the draft, but free agency too. And you got this deep tight end class. I'm not afraid at all to use a second round pick on a tight end right now, especially one that's a good pass catcher. I mean, you look at tight ends and how much of a problem they're becoming on the good football teams. Just look at both teams that were in the Super Bowl. Right, like, and obviously that's the best of the best with Kelsey. But the t- the Eagles are a team that have consistently invested in that tight end position, and like they're cheaper than wide receivers. They cause plenty of matchup problems if you have the right ones, and so I would 
you say don't force the issue on tight on uh, excuse me on wide receivers. Well, that's that's I agree with you, but maybe you can find that weapon that still helps Justin Fields and the other wide receivers by getting another dynamic tight end to pair with Cole Komet. I was walking through the Indiana Convention Center and I came across like that tight end group. They're all together right outside the media entrance. I forget what they were going into just across the, the hallway there. And my first reaction was like, holy shit, these guys are enormous. They're huge. Yes. Like, we're not talking about like 6'3 tight ends, but like 6'6, six, 6'7. Six, six, I think there's one listed at 6'8. Well, that Coons enormous kid. Human beings. That, that Coons kid that. Um, Dane mentioned he's like six. He's over six seven. Uh, Washington, I think, is six seven, or at least six six. Saw that ridiculous catch he made in his workouts. That one-handed grab that was that was awesome. There's, I mean, there's there's some big dudes that are essentially offensive linemen playing wide receiver. Zach Kuhn, six seven, two fifty five, ran the forty in four point five five seconds. Forty inch <laughs> vertical. Like, are you kidding me with that? And don't worry about like him playing in Old Dominion. He was a Penn State recruit before he he moved on. But like, just wow, that is yeah. talk about matchup problems, mismatches. That guy would deliver it and then some. Yeah. All right. Well, we should wrap things up here. Good stuff with Dane. Always love having him on. Uh, hope everybody enjoyed the show. And well, I'm sure there's going to be news flowing in the next couple of days. It seems like it's starting a little bit early. Dominoes. We got the franchise tag deadline later today, too, so there'll be some fallout from that. We'll be back Thursday to break all that down, how it affects the Chicago Bears. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Adam Hogue, at Adam Johns. Uh, Johns has got some good stuff on The Athletic, theathletic.com slash Hogan Johns, as well as Brugler's Mock is up there as well. You can find me, allchgo.com. And, uh, yes, there is a mock draft coming this week. Also, newsletter out tomorrow morning with my final combine thoughts. So you can check all that out again, allchgo.com. Merch is up, obviousshirts.com. John Z, talk to you on Thursday. See ya. Point is, uh, those are some numbers.